Uh, good to be with all of you and hope that you had a, a great Christmas with uh, friends and family. You know, about a, oh, it was probably several years ago that uh, I took some vacation over Christmas. And so my wife and I, the Sunday after Christmas, thought, let's go to a church we've wanted to go visit. Not that we didn't like Cedar Mill, but there's another church we wanted to go visit. And thought, I'd like to go hear that guy preach there and hear what he's like, or hear the message there. So... So we went to this church we wanted to visit, and the music was fine, the people were friendly, and then the guy got up in the pulpit, and I was looking at him and go, that that doesn't look like their senior pastor, the lead guy, or even one of their regular guys. And then sure enough, it was their executive pastor, and I thought, oh, no. (laughs) And it was an okay message, but it was an oh, no. And so now I'm doing that to you. Welcome. (laughs) So if you came to hear Matt, Pastor Matt or Pastor Dave, I'm sorry. Here I am. You know. Now today I did want to simply take some time. We're in between series, and so I wanted to simply take a moment to look at one of my favorite passages of Scripture in Mark uh, chapter 5, 21. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. Or we'll have it up on the screen. But I love this passage. Not, it's a favorite to me because it kind of gets at the heart of part of what I think is the most important part of the gospel. And that is, uh, the, it talks about this opportunity of this person getting to know Jesus. And what's so important to me is the fact that we can know Jesus in this close, personal, uh, intimate way. So I love the way that Jesus interacts with this woman and the way that she uh, gets to really discover who he is and what he thinks about her. You know, sometimes when I'm talking with people about my relationship with Christ and try to talk about what the good news is and what God's done for us and what a change that can make in our life. The most frustrating for, thing for me is when the talk starts to turn relig- religious. You know, I'll be talking with people about who Christ is and they want to talk about church, music and the church. So they want to talk about, I was in the choir when I was a kid. Or they want to talk about, oh, does God exist? Or, you know, they go on and on, all these religious kind of side rabbit trails and they're missing the thing that's the most important part to me and that's the fact that I can actually know God personally and they could as well and that to me is it's not only the most important part for me in my life but the most life-changing part of the gospel for any person so that they can know God so this this passage really gets to the heart of this this person who gets to really know God in a more intimate way rather than just have God do something for them. So Mark 5, starting with verse 21, you can either follow it up on the screen here or or just listen. It says, when Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him, my little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out for him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. 
And yet you asked, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. When you get to this section in Mark, Mark is spending a lot of time trying to answer a key question, and that's who is this person, Jesus? Jesus himself is you know, establishing his identity, not just as some man, some carpenter, but as the Son of God. So people are starting to ask all sorts of questions around Jesus. In fact, if you go through Mark, these kind of questions come up. What is this? A new teaching with authority? Or why does this fellow speak this way? Who can forgive sins but God? Why does he eat with sinners? So people are trying to figure out who Jesus is, and Mark is pulling these stories together to try to explain to you and I, to anyone that might read this book, who Jesus is. And Jesus is busy establishing his identity. People like John the Baptist sent messengers to say, who are you? Jesus begins to demonstrate his authority over nature when he calms the storm, or over the spiritual realm when he uh, casts out demons. He leaves Herod, the local ruler, puzzled about who he is. Feeds the 5,000, proving that he has the ability to provide for people. Eventually, Peter confesses that Jesus is the Messiah, and he's transfigured with Elijah and Moses. So here's this crowd left with Jesus, asking the question, who is this guy, and what is he about? Or what is he going to be doing next? In fact, at this point in the story, Jesus is rising to what you might call Uh, celebrity status. He's popular. He's doing things that are of interest to people. He's doing things that are amazing. They're wondering, what is he about and what's he going to do? You might compare him to someone like uh, Marcus Mariota. And if if you're a football fan, you know who that is. And if you don't like football, then you have no idea who he is. But he's the quarterback for the the Ducks. He's going to be a little bit busy this week, like some of us, maybe watching something on Thursday. Um, Anyway, he, he had an incredible year. He set a number of records, received all sorts of awards, and then he was eventually nominated for the Heisman Trophy, which is one of the highest honors that a college football player can receive. So if you watch the announcement or presentation on TV, uh, here's Marcus Mariota, and everybody pretty much assuming he's going to get it because he was so far ahead of the other guys. And then there are the two guys that were also nominated sitting next to him, and I thought, how bad for these guys. They know they, they're just having to sit next to him. This is guy, Marcus, he's obviously the winner. And they're like having to just sit there knowing they're going to lose on national television, enduring that. So aside from them, it was a great moment for him because he, he won. And when he got up, the, the other thing that was so great is he gave this very gracious, humble acceptance speech. It wasn't about how he was so great, but he talked about his friends, his family, his teammates. So when you finished, you thought, this guy's not only a great athlete that I respect, he's, he's somebody I actually like. He should win. He's a great guy. So Jesus maybe was somewhat in that kind of position. And maybe some of you are thinking, like, oh, are we comparing Jesus to a quarterback? Well, just I'm trying to help you. So with that, he, he, Jesus is just in this situation where he's popular He's done some great things. So people want to hang around him. They want to be with him. They want to be associated with him. They want to see what he's going to be uh, doing next and what's coming up. 
So that leads us to here, Mark 5, 21, in this immediate context, where it says, When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. So people just thronging, wanting to be around him. Thinking, am I going to get some free food? Is he going to do another miracle? I want to be with this celebrity. Maybe it's also, I could explain, it's kind of like me with my wife, Leanne. I married her because I wanted to be with a celebrity, which she kind of is. If you know her, she's on the Beaverton School Board. And when she goes places, people talk to her about school board issues. I mean, people know her, and it's kind of cool to be associated with her. I mean, this is kind of an example of the difference between her and... When I get Christmas cards, we have this Christmas tree thing that hangs up on the wall with the little pockets you can put Christmas cards in. And it's kind of fun to get all these different cards from people. And here's the kind of cards I get. You can't see this. Merry Christmas. And every happiness in the new year, our warmest wishes from the Schneider Roofing Team. <laughs> That's, or the local realtor. Those are the cards I get. She gets cards like, Merry Christmas from Suzanne Bonamici, our state representative. You know, and I've seen these cards. Who are these people? But they're famous people she gets to connect with. But just so I'm not a total loser, you know. See, I did get a Christmas card from Josh's son. So I am kind of somebody here like that. <laughs> But for the most part, she gets to be the celebrity. I like being with her. I like being around her. It's, it's kind of fun. She's my celebrity wife. So here we are with these crowds, wanting to be connected with Jesus, wanting to be around him at this point. And sure enough, they're not disappointed as something happens. This guy, Jairus, shows up. It says, Then one of the, locals, of the synagogue leaders named Jairus came, and when he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. He pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him, and a large crowd followed and pressed around him. So when Jairus shows up, he's not just anybody. He's another somebody. And he's the local synagogue ruler. In other words, he'd kind of put together the services or things that happened in the local synagogue in a respected position. So here we have celebrity meets celebrity. It's almost like this ultimate, you know, con- you know coming together of these, these important people, uh, and something was obviously going to happen. But Jairus didn't just come as somebody in town. He came as a real person with some real needs. And in this case, as a parent whose only daughter, who's 12 years old, was dying. As a parent, he didn't come and just say, hey, Jesus, man, could you come by my house maybe and help my daughter out. He comes and he says he fell at Jesus' feet and implored him for help. It's more than a polite ask. It's begging Jesus, please come help me. I'm desperate. I don't know how many of you have daughters, but I still remember when my, I have three daughters and when my first one was born, I can't remember feeling as vulnerable as I did at that moment when she was there. I grew up with brothers. When you have brothers, you you do things like you shoot each other with BB guns. You go out and you blow up slugs with firecrackers. You, you go in the creek in the back and you take your model ship and you light it on fire and the black plastic smokes. It looks just like the World War II movies. All those kinds of things. That's what you do with brothers. I didn't have any sisters. So when I had this daughter, there's this different world I was entering into where you begin to love this person so deeply yet feel so vulnerable because... You know, they're coming into this world, a world that is not nice to women or to girls. It's a tough place for girls. 
I still remember still, you know, my daughters growing up. I love my sons. But my daughters were great because, you know, they can be sweet and kind, but they can also wrestle, and they don't mind shooting things too. I mean, they can get into that stuff. They're, they're, they're great to have daughters. But with that vulnerability, there are things like I still remember one of my daughters, her first um, high school activity where they're going out on a group date for something in, at our house there for a picture, and my daughter's date didn't show up and waited and waited and finally she kind of disappeared crying and at that moment as a dad you hurt for them you feel for them it's bad so anyway this guy said well he's, he called and he was going to meet meet them at the restaurant and so I thought okay that's good so I helped get them over there and I went to my gun closet and I got my gun and I just <laughs> I didn't know I did go though and I found that guy and I put my hand on his shoulder and I said, you know, my daughter is so important to me and you need to take good care of her tonight. So I think that made an impression on him. And <laughs> I think the evening was a little bit better. And then her older brother and his friends found this guy at school the next day in the hallway and they kind of finished the lesson. <laughs> Not <laughs> that. So there's a sense though here of this guy Jairus, no matter how important he was or how significant he was, had this need, this vulnerability, this thing that was tearing at him enough, you know, Jesus, please, will you come help my daughter? So comes coming as a desperate parent. Finally, this guy shows up as a man of faith. He believes enough in Jesus to say, would you come and heal my daughter? And so Jesus went. And as Jesus went, the crowds go along with him while they're thinking, God, Dude, this guy is interested in this important guy. He seems to care. I, I want to see what's going to happen. He's probably actually going to do something, not just show up. Now, on the way, everything seems to be coming together in such a good way. You know, Jesus is going with the good guy to help out the worthy guy, the respected leader, the agonizing parent with the suffering daughter. It only makes sense that Jesus would go with him and heal his daughter, and everything is going to be great. So that's kind of the moment this story is at right now and you see the plot moving along you think you can kind of figure out what the ending is going to be but then suddenly this other story gets intersected right in the middle and what you thought was maybe the main story becomes only part of another kind of story that is if not more important equally important that's the story of this woman that comes along look in verse 25 it says, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. So this woman, it just says, a woman. It doesn't even give her a name, unlike Jairus, who was somebody. She just shows up, no name, kind of like the expendable extra on Star Trek. And if any of you watch Star Trek, you know what the expendable extra is. The main characters, Captain Kirk and the others, are getting on the transporter, ready to go down to where the bad people are. They're going to get shot up or something. And there's always this guy, the security guy, with this little phaser in the boring outfit with the V-neck t-shirt back then. You've never seen him before. 
and you know you're never going to see him again because he's the expendable extra who's going to get it first, right? Or in the movie you watch, the main characters are there at the table eating dinner, having this conversation, and in the background are these people just moving around. And you know they got 10 bucks or whatever to be in the movie. They're, I don't even know if their names are on the credit. It just says crowd or something like that. But they're, they're nobody. They're just no name, bit part in the background. So this woman, she doesn't even get a name. She's just this extra person that shows up in the crowd. And I don't know if you can think of people like that that you've known in your life. They're just that extra person. Maybe if you flip back through your high school annual, you could go back and you look at names in the back and go to their page, and they don't even have their photo in the yearbook. They weren't part of any clubs, any teams, and they didn't even turn in their senior picture. They're just a name. You have no idea who that person is. Flip side, maybe you felt like that person sometime. Were you just the expendable extra? You were with a group, they were the important people, and you were nobody. So again, it's like me with my celebrity wife. We went, when they passed the bond, the Beaverton passed the bond, we went to a party on election night waiting to hear the announcement, and you're working the crowd, and people say, so are you a principal? Nope. <laughs> a teacher? No. Oh, you're the campaign director. Ah, no. My wife's on the school board. Oh, that's good. What do you do? I'm a pastor. That's the end of the conversation. I'm not, so. So that's, I don't know, it wasn't too bad. You just look for another spouse that's in the same spot for you and then eat as much as you can at those kind of activities. So, but no, sometimes you do feel that way, even if, there are a lot of good things happening in your life. You feel like the nobody that doesn't matter in life. You know, you, that's just how you feel sometimes. So that's where this woman was at. So who was she? Really not anybody in particular. But like Jairus, when she came, she had real needs and real problems. In this case, it says for her, she had physical problems. She had this discharge of blood for 12 years. I don't know how many of you are 12 years old. Think about that your whole life. You have this illness that's bothering you. It doesn't say exactly what she had, but maybe it's something like this. So I looked this up in this medical site. It said, middle school guys, you can just plug your ears on this if you want. Some women who ovulate normally experience excessive blood loss during their periods or bleed between periods. The most common causes of such bleeding are uterine fibroids, uterine adenomyosis, or endometrial polyps. Fibroids are benign masses in the muscle layer of the uterus. Da, 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 da. So, okay, some kind of condition that this woman had. That's not very helpful. So, again, this is where my wife was helpful for me. I asked her, so what do you think things were like or going on for this woman? So the bottom line was, I think for all of you gals, you'd be like having your period all month long for 12 <laughs> years. Yes, that's what that would be like. So, if you don't have women in your family, I can tell you, I have three daughters, a wife, and a female dog. That would not be fun to have that going on in your life. Uh, but seriously, what did she feel like? She probably just felt lousy. You'd be anemic, lacking iron, run down, short of breath, just wanting to climb in bed and be done with it all the time. Just feeling lousy like that all the time for 12 years. 
So any of you who have a chronic health problem, maybe you could relate to this woman, what she was going through, just to feel crummy all the time. But she not only had physical problems, she came with financial problems because it says she spent all she had on doctors and instead of getting better, she got worse. It doesn't say if she had a family or anyone else to take care of her, but back then they didn't have social security, disability, any safety nets like that. But she had spent all that she had to try to get better and was left worse. So she had financial problems. Most likely she had emotional and social problems as well. So she's really essentially at the end of her rope. What hope does she have left? And probably on the fringe religiously. If you go back to the Levitical law or the Jewish um, law back in Leviticus 15, it says if a woman has a flow of blood for many days that is unrelated to her menstrual period, or if the blood continues beyond the normal period, she is ceremonially unclean. As during her menstrual period, the woman will be unclean as long as the discharge continues. Any bed she lies on and any object she sits on during that time will be unclean just as during her normal menstrual period. If any of you touch these things, you will be ceremonially unclean. You must wash your clothes and bathe yourself in water and you will remain unclean until evening. So it wasn't a matter about being like physically clean like she needed to wash up. It wasn't about that. It was about being you know, religiously unclean. It meant she couldn't go into the temple like the women's area of the court where you could pray. She couldn't go there. She couldn't go into the synagogue. If she was around other people, she needed to be careful and let them know so that they didn't become unclean and have to be isolated or kept out as well. So it put her in a position where she couldn't enter into the religious life of the people around her, and probably people didn't really want to be around her. It'd be kind of like if I walked up to you and said, hey, my name's Dan, I have Ebola, let's go out for coffee. It, you know, it wouldn't be quite like that. But it might be just something where people don't want to hang around you. If if they knew something about you, they might not want to be around you. For some people, it might be an addiction you have. I'm so-and-so. I have this. Hmm. I have this hang-up. Or this hurt in my life I'm trying to recover from. I've committed this crime. I have this strange personality thing. Now, there are all sorts of things that isolate us from other people, and when they find out about them, people are kind of like this. You know, it, it puts us off by ourselves. This woman had to wear that out in the open, you know, and probably face rejection and isolation over and over again. So it wasn't just about a physical ailment or a financial ailment. There was a social, emotional impact on her as well. So when she showed up in this crowd, she probably came feeling unworthy, worrying about being rejected, not wanting to bother Jesus or anyone else, but desperate, desperate enough to take the risk to go in and just wanting to touch the tassel on the robe that he was wearing and then get out. So she did that, and what happened was she was immediately healed. You can kind of imagine her feeling at that time, coming in and realizing suddenly this end of this suffering. Trying to be careful, but so excited. It'd be like some of you that are texting during the message. And your friend sends you something that's funny, and you start to laugh out loud, and then you realize, i got to be quiet. No, this kind of joy, elation, ready to burst forth into tears, or in joy, or laughter, yet mission accomplished. Now I've got to get out of here as fast as I can. 
But it didn't end that way because then came this question in Mark 5.30. It says that once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. So here this woman's greatest hope had just occurred. She was healed and freed, and yet her worst nightmare was coming true. She was caught. (sighs) She didn't come wanting the attention, the stares, the rejection, and now having to wonder before she was finally revealed, is this guy going to be mad at me? Is he going to rebuke me? Am I going to be humiliated in public? Look, I've just slowed down this whole crowd that was going to heal the daughter of this really important guy. I've just made a really important person unclean by touching him because I'm unclean. And maybe all these other people, and they're all going to be mad at me now. She probably felt sense sick to her stomach, wondering what was going to happen. I was trying to think of, is there ever a time I felt like that? And the only time I can think of is when I came here one day on a Saturday. Uh, there was a wedding, but I needed to come in early and do some other stuff, move some things around. So I came in a little T-shirt and jeans and tennis shoes, but I brought my suit, you know, ready for the wedding. So I finished up. It was time for the wedding, you know, 10 minutes beforehand. So I quickly changed, put my coat and tie on, all that kind of stuff, and then went to put my shoes on and forgot my dress shoes. So I thought, oh, gee, I'm not going to go to a wedding wearing my tennis shoes, these grummy tennis shoes. But I had black socks, so I, thinking black socks kind of look dark. And so if I just slip in there quickly, no one will notice that I don't have shoes on because I have black socks on. So I made it up there. I got down the aisle and was going down my pew thinking, yes, I made it. Until my friend who was ushering, Mike Hinkle, says, nice socks or nice shoes, Dan. At which point everyone noticed I didn't have shoes on, and he's no longer my friend. So that's that. So I don't know. This woman, poor woman, you know, about to be caught in this crazy question, and he won't stop looking around until he finds out who it was. Now, for other people, they were just like, "Hey, it wasn't me that touched you," or the disciples, "Hey." you have a space issue here? I mean, look at all these people here pushing against you. Come on, this is a ridiculous kind of question. But Jesus wasn't talking about that kind of touch. He was talking about one where someone came in faith and was healed. Some people have wondered, did Jesus really know at the beginning who this woman was or what she had done? And some people say yes. Some people say no. He's still limited by being in human form. It doesn't really matter because he did ask the question... He wanted to connect with this woman. And by asking the question, it reveals something about Jesus. Not only wanted to connect with her, but he also wanted people to know what he was able to do for someone. So after the question, finally, in Mark 5:33, it says, Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. So when she fell at his feet, it wasn't like Jairus, coming somewhat in desperation. She was coming in fear, trembling with fear, falling down, and says she told him the whole truth. So you can see this crowd of people and Jesus standing there. How long do you think it would take to tell 12 years worth of truth, all the things that she'd endured? 
Maybe it was like, first I started experiencing this problem, I wasn't too worried about it, but then it kept happening, and I tried this treatment and that one, it was going on and on, and then people started to pull back away, and I was becoming more and more lonely and isolated, I couldn't go out, my friends distanced themselves, blah, 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 I couldn't take it anymore, and then I heard about you, and maybe I thought you might help me, and I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to cause any trouble, blah, 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 here I am, blah, crying, and just like, blah. This whole thing out there. And you can imagine Jesus standing there listening and this crowd all around standing listening and she finishes and then this silence, this pause and everyone wondering, including this woman, what's Jesus going to say or do? Was he going to yell at her? Or just walk away or say, that was interesting? Or is he going to unheal her, take it back? What's going to happen? But then Jesus responds. And again, this is what reveals his real heart about the kind of God that he is. Mark 5.34, he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. So the first thing he does is he calls her daughter. He doesn't just say, Hey, you expendable extra. Yo, woman person, no-name person. It's like my niece yesterday when we were at my parents' house. I have a four-year-old niece, and she was excited about something, so she came up to me, and I don't see her that often, so she couldn't really remember my name, so she goes, Uncle you catch the ball! <laughs> so that's like... It wasn't like that. Or at Jesus' table, um, that you know, is a good place to really get to know some people. You sit at the same table, you get to know them, and you get to learn a lot about what life is like for them. So for a lot of them, you know, the people that are out living on the street with them are their street family, and so they call each other sister, brother, dad, names like that. They're not really their sister, brother. It's their street family. And so this other day a friend came, and we were doing this wedding that night, and so this gal said to my friend, Hey, are you coming to the wedding tonight? And he goes, oh, there's a wedding tonight? He goes, yeah, my dad's marrying my sister. And so this guy's like, your, he's, your dad's doing the ceremony for your sister? No, they're getting married. My dad's marrying my sister. And you could just see this poor guy, wheels turning, like, what kind of church is this kind of place here? <laughs> yeah. So names like that, they, they have some meaning, but Jesus didn't pick a shallow or empty term to call her. He calls her daughter, which is very personal, intimate, connecting kind of title. Daughter. That's why this passage is so important to me. The fact that God is so interested, not just in this woman, but in us. And he actually knows our name. He knows everything about us. He created us. And he's not content with that. He's not content with just doing something to help us out. He wants this kind of relationship with each one of us. And, and if you don't, don't have that, you're missing the whole point of the gospel. It's not about going to church, having a church family, doing good things, serving, read your Bible. Those are all important. It's about being connected with Jesus in a way where he's able to call you son or daughter. And you know him as father or brother, in this personal kind of way. That's what Jesus is trying to communicate here. He came 
not just to forgive us, but to restore us into relationship with him. So Jesus goes on and he does something else here. He affirms her for her faith in him. He says, your faith has made you well. It wasn't my magical cloak. If you just have a magical cloak and can get it, then you can be healed. No, it said, your faith, you believed in me. You believed I could heal you. You took a step of risk. You took a risk in spite of your fear to reach out to me. She probably didn't understand everything there was to know about Jesus. Maybe she didn't know hardly anything. She didn't have any special prayer formulas. She didn't take a class on how to pray. She didn't overthink that. She just acted on the little bit of faith that she had, and Jesus took that and did something with that. And so he affirms her for that. You know, there's a passage in James that says, you don't have because you don't ask. Sometimes things aren't different in our life because we just don't ask Jesus to help us. And I'm not saying, and this passage isn't saying that if we all have faith and just ask Jesus, we'll be healed from every single problem we have. And we know that's not true. Sometimes God answers with a no or a wait. He has other things he's wanting to be doing. So it's not saying that. But it is saying when we do go in faith and ask him, God will do something in us maybe sometimes greater than what we're even asking for. So all this, this woman, it's opposed to someone else who might say, I can do it myself. So you think about what age people start saying that. Maybe three. <laughs> My four-year-old niece, I can do it myself. And it's kind of cute in a little kid. But when you get to be an adult, it's not so cute anymore because we can't fix it all ourselves. We're only fooling ourselves when we keep saying that. I can take care of it myself. That's not faith. Sometimes we can say things, I can't make myself have faith. I don't have enough faith to believe God would do something. But this passage, that's the point. It doesn't take a lot of faith. It just takes enough. And sometimes when we're saying, I can't make myself believe or have faith, Really, all we need to do is take that small step, take the risk and saying, God, if you are real, please help me believe. Please reveal yourself to me. I have trouble believing that you might change the situation, but you don't know that until you ask. So God's willing to take what little faith we have and act upon that. And so he commends this woman for taking a risk and asking in faith. People can also say this, I'm not going to ask because Jesus, he wouldn't want to help me. He wouldn't be interested in me. But what's that really saying about Jesus? That's the whole thing this passage is talking about is he, he would help. He is interested in us. He does want to do something in our lives probably more than we could imagine. Finally, Jesus says to this woman, go in peace. It's a term, it's a general term, like shalom. No, go, your, let your life kind of be right. Things are in the right place. They're settled. Life is good. Go in peace. Or more specifically here, go in peace. Your problem's been solved. You're heal, you've been healed. It's been taken care of. Or maybe more important, go in peace. Things are good between us. I'm not mad at you. I love you. I'm interested in you. I'm affirming your faith in me. Go in peace. I'm calling you daughter. Things are good 
between us. So in all of that, the things we learn from this woman, what's, what's the message for us? Uh, we can be all different kinds of people from all sorts of different backgrounds. Some, in the world's eyes, important people. Some, maybe nobodies. With all sorts of real needs that we share in common. And like this woman, we have an opportunity to come before Jesus and have things be different. For some people, they're not at peace with God because they don't know him yet. Maybe some of you are in that situation. You have an opportunity to have things be right with God on the basis of what Jesus has done. It's not about us being so good that we get God to like us. It's about acknowledging the fact that God created us. He loves us. Enough that he sent his son Jesus 2,000 years ago to give his life on a cross. He died on that cross. That's what makes up for all of our shortcomings. And on the basis of that, we can be forgiven, ask God to receive us into his family and make us a new person. Have that kind of peace with God. So maybe that's where you're at. And that doesn't take any kind of a trick, magic trick, or having a great prayer. It's just a matter of telling God that. God, I believe in Jesus. Please forgive me. I want to follow you. Come into my life. You can do that anytime. But you have to do that. I can't do that for you. For some, maybe you feel like, I don't know where I stand with God today. I've, I've prayed, I've asked God to forgive me. I, I'm pretty sure I'm a Christian, but I'm not sure God would forgive me for this. No, 1 John 1, nine says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's nothing he wouldn't forgive us for. We can be restored to God. He wants to call us son, daughter. Or maybe you have an issue that's bothering you, like this woman. A problem you can't fix yourself. You know, Philippians 4 says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, make your requests known to God. And peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So God wants us. He says it over and over. Come before me with your needs. And then finally, for, for some, you might feel like, Nope, I'm good with that. I wake up in the morning, I know God loves me, I talk things over with him. In the evening I go to bed, talking things over through the day, I can bring anything before God. I know he's listening to me, he's revealing things, speaking to me, I'm good with all that. So maybe the challenge for you is to think about the kind of friend you could be to people that are struggling at some point in life. And instead of trying to fix their problem, which you can't do anyway, Maybe what you can do is point people to Jesus as the one who ultimately can take care of more than just their immediate problem, but think about their whole life. God oftentimes uses difficulties to drive us back to him so that we can know him in some deeper ways. So yeah, don't, with other people, don't just focus on fixing a problem or an immediate need, but you can learn to ask some good questions. like, Or maybe it's just a matter of being with somebody and praying with them. Say, so let's pray about this and take this to Jesus because I know he cares about your situation. I don't know what he'll do or what he's going to say to you, but let's go ask him together, being that kind of friend to a person. We're going to take communion right now. Really, communion is about recognizing what Christ has done for us and made possible for us. And so this morning as the ushers come forward to 
um, pass out the bread and cup. I'm going to ask that you just hold the bread and cup. We're going to take those together. If you're like me, about 10 seconds after that's been said, you're forgotten. Am I supposed to hold the bread and cup and take it together or take it on my own? I get it wrong every time. So, today, hold the bread and cup as they pass that out. As they do that, I'm going to ask you to take some time to uh, pray about some things as well. So as the band just plays some music quietly in the background, uh, I'm going to give you some things to pray about along the way. So as you're getting the bread and cup, as you're holding it, before we take it together, uh, let's pray together. So you pray with me. Father, this morning we want to thank you for your interest in us and your love for us, the way that you reach out to us and draw us to yourself and reveal yourself to us. So right now we just want to thank you for your love for us. I want to give you a chance. Would you just do that on your own? Tell God how much you appreciate his love for you and what it means to you.